the tongue. If you have one, then this Bible study in James 3, 1 through 12 is for you. The entire passage deals with our mouth and the words that we say. If you're like me, your tongue often gets you into trouble. We speak without thinking. We speak harsh or hurtful words to others, and we wish that we could take it back again. But of course, we can't. So the tongue can be very powerful in a negative way. Of course, it can also be very powerful in a positive way. So today, the Bible study in James 3, 1 through 12 will deal with our tongue, our words, how to tame, how to control our tongue and make sure that we are using it for the glory of Christ rather than to hurt others. My name is Jason Dexter and my goal is to help you study and then put God's word into practice one passage at a time. Today, our topic is found in James 3, 1 through 12. Let's read that first together. James 3, Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So this entire passage is on taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. So in verses 1 through 2, there are warnings about the tongue. And then verses 3 through 6, there are examples illustrating the power of the tongue. And then verses 7 through 12, reminding us that the tongue cannot be tamed by man. So we're looking here first in verse number 1. I'm going to read that again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many of you should become teachers. So this is the first warning about the tongue. Of course, teaching is something that requires using our words a lot. A teaching is a more prominent role than many others in the body. So here, teachers probably refers to those who are working in an official capacity, who have a recognized teaching position in the church. These people are in the spotlight and they have a lot of influence over others. Their words have power to bring people the truth, to lead people to our Lord Jesus Christ, or to mislead. 
oftentimes teachers can be admired or respected, or people will point to the words, the quotes, or the position of their favorite teacher and uh, follow that. Uh, therefore, teachers, of course, have a lot of influence o- over others. Now, this attention can lead to pride, and it can also attract people who enjoy being in that spotlight. So, this verse we should take as a warning to any prospective teacher to take their role seriously. It's not about the attention, a lot of responsibility comes with being a teacher. Your words can have a great influence on others and can alter the course of their life. So we should, at all times, every teacher should be careful to divide accurately the word of truth. Also in Hebrews 13, 17, there's another reminder about the influence of leaders. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This reminds us that leaders or teachers have a very important position. Teachers will be held accountable for their actions. So back in James 1, he says, You know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teachers will be held accountable for their actions. They will face a stricter judgment than the average person. So for some people, when they presumably face God in judgment one day, they might offer excuses. They might say, I didn't know. And perhaps sometimes they didn't. But a teacher cannot claim ignorance on many issues because a teacher who says, I didn't know, probably taught often on that very thing. God can just have a voice recording of those times when they were preaching or teaching Sunday school or teaching a Bible study and telling others what to do and say, no, but you did know and you taught others and then you didn't do the very thing you taught others to do. So teachers oftentimes cannot claim ignorance. Having the official capacity as a teacher is serious. One should consider his motives very carefully and be careful that what he says does not mislead others. As God has given me the opportunity to share with others his word, I often come to him in prayer and say, God, please let me to speak the whole truth from your word and not my own opinions. And I also ask God to give me humility that when I share God's word, I would do it to bring him glory and honor, not to promote myself. Now, at the same time, God has given every believer a spiritual gift. So this is in no way a prohibition or saying, don't become a teacher or you shouldn't become a teacher. God has given the gift of teaching to many believers in the church. And if someone has the gift, they should use it. But they should not use it loosely or in a haphazard manner. Before speaking, they should always pray over their words to make sure they are in line with scripture. Now, even if you don't have the official capacity as a teacher or the the gift of teaching, so to speak, all believers are called to pass on what they've learned from the Bible to others. Maybe you give advice. When you give advice to your spouse or to your children or a friend, make sure the advice is grounded in scripture. When you offer opinions, 
in your discussions with others. Make sure it is based on the truth of God's word. Before you teach on any topic, make sure that you've studied it and that you measure your words carefully. Now, please do not use this verse as an excuse to be silent not or, or to not share the gospel or encourage others to follow the Bible. We also have the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a command from Jesus to all of his disciples to take the gospel into all of the world. That requires opening our mouth and sharing the Bible with people. So whether you have the gift of teaching, in fact, every person should pass on what he has learned about God to others. We can also see a verse to that effect in Hebrews 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. Now notice what this verse is saying. The Hebrew believers should have been teachers. Okay, that was the expected next step in their spiritual journey was that they would become teachers. So there's an implication here that in fact every believer should grow to the point where he's passing on to others what he's learned from God's word. This is the, the normal growth, the normal progress that every believer should make. Now every person should grow past the baby stage in where... You know, as a baby, they, they first, they don't know how to feed themselves. And then, uh, of course, their, their parents will feed them. And at some point, they then know how to feed themselves. And then eventually, when they grow up, they in turn feed others. That is the same in the Christian walk. At the beginning, perhaps we need more input from others to help us to get the spiritual food from the Bible. And then after that, as we learn and as we study, we learn to do that ourselves. And then eventually we should move to the point where we are passing it on to others. But not everyone should be quick to take the official role of a teacher. And if we do take that role, we need to be careful the words that we say. We need to make sure that the gospel we share is the same one as found in the Bible and that the encouragement we give is from God's word. Now one other note on this is that it is perfectly okay when someone asks you a question about the Bible to say, I don't know. Now, sometimes I can attest to this myself. When someone asks me complicated questions, I'd like to be able to give them the answer. And sometimes there might even be an element of pride in that. Like, oh, yeah, I know all the answers. But we shouldn't act in that way. If you don't know, then say, I don't know. Those words can be very hard, but if they're the truth, we need to be honest about it. You can then say, well, I don't know now, but I want to do some research and I want to do some study and I will try to find out the answer for you later on. So an application, do share testimonies in scripture to encourage other believers. Do share the gospel, but don't be hasty to go on stage to claim a certain title for yourself. And especially don't share opinions on matters that you are not ready for yet. So going on to verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle 
his whole body. Every person stumbles with the tongue. But teachers, of course, have even more opportunity to do so because teachers speak and teach. That is what they do. Because they talk so much, they have more opportunities than average to stumble with their words. And of course, if they do stumble or make some mistakes, they need to be quick to, to correct that. But incorrect words can have a negative impact on others. So we need to be careful. Every person may stumble in what he says. Now here it says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. What does it mean that he's a perfect man? Now there's two possible explanations for this. The, the first is that perfect truly means perfect. That is the person who is able to completely control his tongue then that is a sign that he has complete and perfect self-control. And if he can control his tongue, then he can control the rest of his body. So he's truly perfect and without sin. Now later in verse 8, we will see that no person can actually control their tongue. So the first explanation that, that if you can control your tongue, you are then perfect would be a hypothetical situation. In fact, no one can do that. No one has ever been able to do that except our Lord Jesus Christ. So it could be saying, if you controlled the tongue, you would be perfect, but you don't control the tongue, so you are not perfect. That's one possible interpretation. The other possibility is that perfect here might mean mature, in which case it would show that the spiritually mature could tame the tongue. Now, whichever interpretation you favor, it means that taming the tongue is very difficult. You cannot actually do it on your own. We'll see that later in this passage. No man can tame the tongue. No man. But God can. So we need to rely on him for help. Now verses 3 through 6, James gives some illustrations which show you just how powerful the tongue is. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So James often uses illustrations from everyday life or nature to prove his points. It's one of the reasons I really like the book of James because it's very, very practical and it's very easy to understand. And he uses lots of examples from everyday life to help us understand it. In chapter two, we saw some of his illustrations about faith and works and then about partiality. In here, illustrations about the tongue. Now, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Perhaps he witnessed Jesus' parables and illustrations and learned that concept from him. Because these things take difficult to understand concepts and then bring it down to make it very understandable for normal people. 
So illustrations are a great teaching tool. If you're a Bible study leader, then try to use more illustrations like James does, which then will help those who come to the study understand the text better. So here we have several illustrations. Uh, we have an illustration of the, the horse and the bits. And then we have an illustration of the ships and then their rudders. So we have several different illustrations here. Now both of these illustrations are quite similar. Uh, horses and ships are hard to control, but it is possible to control them. A very small tool, a bit in the case of horses or a rudder in the case of a ship can help you to steer these powerful objects. Now the bit and the rudder are very, very small compared to the horse and compared to the ship, but they're extremely important and they can help you to control that very powerful object. So they're small, but they hold great power. Now in similar manner, your tongue is small. In fact, it's not something that most people even see, but it too holds great power. Now, if you can control your tongue, you can control the whole body. And then he goes on to explain in verses 5 through 6 that the tongue is like a fire. It has an amazing capacity to destroy. Now, fires start off very small, but they can spread quickly and devour millions of acres before they burn out. Oftentimes, fires are started by careless people who perhaps left an ember in their campfire. Maybe they smoked and tossed their cigarette out. Uh, some, some normally small spark would potentially start a massive wildfire in the right conditions. So just a few seconds of care on the front side of that can save vast devastation later. Now, once that fire starts spreading, even the coordinated effort of thousands of firefighters cannot stop it. When is the time to stop the wildfire? Before it starts. Now, the tongue is the same. Have you ever spoken some words that you wish you could take back again? I'm sure we all have. But once words are spoken, they cannot be unsaid. Now, the popular playground saying that kids like to say is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I, I have a problem with that saying and always have because this saying cannot be farther from the truth. Words can hurt. They do hurt. You surely can remember times when people have spoken words to you that hurt you, discouraged you, demotivated you made you lose sleep, made you react in, in a negative way, that maybe ripped relationships apart, that caused depression. Words can start wars. In the Bible, King Solomon had a very great kingdom. But his son, Rehoboam, found out the hard way, the harm that foolish words can do. Now, after Rehoboam became king, the 11 non-Judah tribes came to him and they had a fairly simple request. They said, we've been working really hard under your father Solomon and we would like a lighter load. Now Rehoboam asked some counsel from the elders of his tribe and they encouraged him to speak gentle words, knowing that a gentle 
answer turns away wrath. But Rehoboam instead listened to the hotheads. And let's see what they advised him. We can find this in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 8 and 14. But he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young man who had grown up with him and stood before him. First bad choice. And then let's go down to verse 14. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What do you think happened after Rehoboam answered like this? They said, we would like a lighter load. And Rehoboam says, ha, you wish. My father disciplined you with whips. I'm going to do it with scorpions. I'm going to add to your yoke. It's going to be even heavier. Guess what happened? It's not that hard to guess, right? The other tribes revolted. And then there was a war for generations. And the nation was torn into two pieces. So words can be very, very destructive. Now, another example of words spreading like wildfire is the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus entered Jerusalem the Sunday before his death, people lined the streets. They put out the palm leaves. They put out even their clothes, their their garments on the, the street to make a soft path for Jesus. And they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they welcomed him. But then... Days later, many of the same people were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Why? The poisonous whispers of the Pharisees. A fire can damage in different ways. These words of the Pharisees stirred people up. They spread in the crowd like wildfire. Now, an actual wildfire damages in many ways. It it can burn. But the smoke goes far beyond the actual fire, choking, stinging, and spreading an awful smell. Words can also spread far beyond what you expect and impact others even in faraway places. So we've seen that words can be very powerful and very destructive. Now, If you're watching this or listening to this, you probably are thinking, yeah, my words can be very hurtful. I know of people I've hurt with my words. You might have lost a marriage or lost a relationship with a child because of your words. You might have hurt someone very badly and you might want to solve this problem. You might be coming to the Lord now and saying, Lord, I need your help to solve this problem to tame my tongue. But your tongue works so fast, faster than your mind. And so you're thinking, how do I do this? How do I tame the tongue? What is the answer? Should we cut out our tongues? Or perhaps just resolve our in our minds not to speak, to keep from hurting others? Well, that actually, in part, you would think, okay, that could solve the problem. If I don't speak, then I won't hurt others with my tongue. But that doesn't really solve the problem, does it? Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, cutting out your tongue could, in fact, help you control what you say. No longer would you gossip. 
No longer would you lie. You wouldn't slander. You wouldn't boast. But it would leave your heart unchanged. You could actually use your body language, your gestures, or writing or texting to do those very things. You can gossip in a text message. You can convey anger and hatred with a glare. What should you do? Does that mean, oh, let, let, okay, we need to get rid of our fingers. We need to get rid of our eyes. No, these don't solve the root of the problem. The root of the problem is our sinful heart. We are sinful people. The key is that your heart and my heart needs to be regenerated, renewed, and clean. David once prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. That is what we need from the Lord. We need him to give us a clean heart so that out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth will speak positive things. If you don't have the desire to lie, you won't. If you don't want to harm people through slander, then you won't do it. So cutting out our tongue would not solve the problem. And in fact, of course, our tongue can be a negative thing, right, to hurt others, but it can also be a very positive thing. We can share the gospel. We can encourage people. We can share our testimonies, what the Lord has done for us, and so many other things. So in the Bible, there's often a negative and a positive. Don't do what and instead pursue this. So don't speak those negative words with your tongue, but instead we need to use our tongue in a positive manner. So to learn to control, we must learn to control our tongue for two reasons. So first, there are still remnants of our old nature left. Some of our wrong desires are still there. Temptations come up to the surface. So we need to firstly not say the wrong thing. Then we confess that thought to the Lord and move on. So as soon as you, you think of this, this temptation enters your mind, you need to take that to the Lord in prayer and try to stop that negative word coming out before it even begins. One lie would often bring another, right? What a web we weave when first we practice to deceive. One lie often becomes two and then four. And when you start to argue, it's oftentimes very hard to stop. The other person will probably respond in kind and then you respond in anger and then it grows and then it escalates. The solution is to stop at the beginning. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Now also, our tongues can be very fast. Sometimes they act before our mind can really evaluate what we're even saying. This is often the case with jokes or ridiculing others. In this case, we need to apply what we already learned in James 1.19. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. So we need to ask God to give us a new heart. And then we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and quick to take those wrong thoughts to God before they turn into wrong words. Now, the other side of the coin is to speak positive words. The solution to the tongue problem is not to remain silent. The tongue is very powerful and has great potential for harm, but it also has great potential for good. That is why God gave you a tongue. Let us look at Proverbs 25 verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Words can be a beautiful thing, something to treasure, something to build up and encourage. Without speaking, you cannot share the gospel. Without speaking, you cannot encourage others. Let us learn to use our words to pursue peace 
and build up others. Now, after two and a half tribes, th this story is from the book of Joshua after they conquered the land and then moved in to possess it. And two and a half of the tribes stayed on one side of the Jordan and all the other tribes stayed on the other side. And those two and a half tribes, when they returned home to their side of the Jordan, they built a memorial, a memorial altar, so that they would remember that they were always part of the nation of Israel. But the other side did not understand and thought they were starting some kind of a false religion or worshiping God in a way that he had not allowed. So they gathered for war and they angrily accused their brethren of rebellion. We can see this in Joshua twenty-two fifteen. They came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Okay, so here's a spark. Here's a conflict. A possible confrontation is going to happen. They were gathered and ready to go to war. War is just a moment from breaking out. A bit of pride, a bit of insolence, a bit of hasty speech in a devastating war would have been unavoidable. But the Reubenites ended up answering very graciously and humbly. They calmly communicated with the other tribes the reasons they built this memorial and then reaffirmed their faith in the Lord. Their cool heads and gentle words brought peace and restored the relationship. For that whole story, you can read this whole chapter of Joshua 22. Now, on the other hand, if they had remained silent, if they said, oh, our tongues are dangerous, they can cause great harm, we just won't say anything, then the result would have been very, very different. So consider, consider how to use your words to encourage others. So as we've gone through this part so far of James chapter 3, I hope you're thinking about how are you going to obey this in your life? How can you use your words to encourage others? This week, you can intentionally speak edifying words to build up others each day. One application could be, I will, I will speak some words of encouragement to my children each day, or I will speak some words of gratitude to my spouse each day. You could aim, for example, to give at least three compliments to your spouse every day this week. These are things which we should be very intentional about. And when you become intentional about using your tongue in a positive manner, it starts to make a new habit. You start to tame your tongue. You start to train it to do what you, your new self in Christ, want it to be. All right, let us go forward in verses 7 through 12. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here James uses another example from nature, this time about wild beasts. His point is that although man can control and tame a wild beast, we cannot tame the tongue. 
we have probably you've probably been to circuses or or places like that where lions have been tamed or tigers have been tamed skilled trainers can do this with a lot of hard work but no one can fully tame their tongue by themselves without help from god that's what he says no human being can tame the tongue we are sinful we are depraved without god's help we cannot hope to have victory or self-control in this area what should we do well we do have hope your hope is in christ he can give you the strength to have victory he died on the cross for our sins to forgive them but then he also sends us the holy spirit to empower us to do what is right and to obey him in 1 Corinthians 10:13 we're reminded that in every kind of temptation God makes a way of escape there's always a way out that means you can always have victory so do not say to yourself you know you don't understand my life you don't understand how difficult my spouse is or how difficult my boss is it's impossible no one can take this no one can you know just control their tongue and not say anything in return no yes no person can but god can god is able to do that come to him for help and then he goes on to talk about how we use the tongue either to bless others or to curse others he says with it we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be some people i have worked with in the past seem like very nice people they were clean cut they said kind things to one another they showed care for one another in the office and they were very nice to work with but almost all of them even the young ladies cursed now i was very surprised when i heard some of these colleagues cursing i was like whoa you know uh, i didn't expect that coming out but it was the case because they maybe they had some anger or some difficult situation and then boom out came this outbursts like this are inevitable unless the heart has been regenerated by the spirit as believers we can walk in the spirit the fruit of the spirit includes self-control this is a winnable battle if we rely on god so what steps can we take to win this battle i'm going to propose a few here but i would also invite you to share in the comments section what are some practical ways which you use to control your tongue If you have any thoughts please go ahead and share that uh in the comments how do you control your tongue and what testimony do you have to share of how God has helped you to do this First it's absolutely necessary that you have a close relationship with God Jesus said that apart from him we can do nothing So don't be fake or hypocritical if you don't have a close relationship with Jesus and then you tell yourself and you will yourself and you say I'm not going to use my tongue in that negative manner you're going to fail sooner or later probably sooner we cannot persist in doing right unless jesus is in our heart helping us so we need to cultivate that close relationship with god knowing that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks then you need to think before you speak don't be hasty to share your opinion there's nothing the matter with talking 
but don't find that you are always the one talking on and on. And if you have a temptation to sin with your words, take a moment, cool down, don't say anything yet, and pray immediately. I sometimes have to do this when my kids are having an argument and I'm frustrated and I'm coming in with a bit of a hot temper to deal with it and I I tell myself, slow down, take a breath, make a prayer, and then I might even simply say, God, I'm a little bit angry right now. God, I'm frustrated right now. Help me. And he does. And fourth, make a focused effort to proactively use your tongue to glorify God and bless man. Train yourself to speak positive words through practice. The more and more that kind words flow through your mouth, the easier they will come. On the other hand, if you have angry words and deceptive words and slander and gossip which just keep coming out, then it's going to keep going that way. The easier they will come. So you need to find practical ways to control your tongue. Please again share those in the comment section if you have any suggestions. Now finally in verses 9 through 12, the reminder to us is don't be a hypocrite. Don't bless the Lord with with your mouth at one moment and then curse people the next moment. That's verse 9. And then verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James' point is clear. We should not claim that we are believers, that we love God, and that we worship God. In one moment, sing his praises. In the next moment, curse the people which he has created. These tongues, uh, these verses let us know that the tongue may reveal the hypocrisy in our hearts. I want to read a verse from Isaiah 29 verse 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. This was another kind of hypocrisy that God did not like. He doesn't want this kind of false lip service to come near with our lips to praise him, but our hearts don't belong to him. If you don't mean it, the words, for example, in a worship song, then don't say it. It's worse to give false praise to God than none at all. Now, how many times When we're getting ready to go to church, do we fight and argue with our spouses? Do we react in anger and perhaps curse out the annoying drivers in front of us on the way? Do we yell at our children to hurry up? And then we get to church and we have a nice smile and we start singing songs to God about how much we love him and how much we're going to follow him. Now I have to admit A few years ago, this was sometimes the case in my family. We were also serving in church and uh, sometimes getting ready for church with four young children was quite a stressful occasion, trying to get everyone up and ready and on time and to church by the time we needed to go there to serve. And sometimes we argued or we would get upset and lose our tempers. 
And then I realized this is not a good way to do this at home and then go to church and put on a smile and worship God. So we started a practice. It's very simple, but it really helped us to pray. Every day, uh, every Sunday before we go to church, we would pray together as a family. Pray that God would help us to go with the right attitude. Pray that we would be able to cooperate and get along and love each other even on the way to church. And pray that when we went to church, God would give us the right motivations and help us to really learn what he wanted to say to us. Now doing that really, really helped. It helped us get into the right mindset that when we went to church, we were truly praising him from our hearts. So this problem of at one moment praising God, another moment cursing people or saying wrong words, what's the, how do we handle that? Well, the application, of course, is to not to stop praising God. It's to stop using our tongues as weapons to hurt people. Don't be a hypocrite. Be real and sincere in your faith. And that really comes back to the whole book of James, which we even discuss in the end of James 2, and that is that faith without works is dead. We need to live out our faith. And one way that we live out our faith is through the words that we say. We need to have integrity. Oil and vinegar do not mix. Next time you're about to enter into an argument, mock others or scoff or ridicule or boast or lie, think about Sundays when you tell God how much you love him, when you worship him with your words. And remember, it's hypocrisy for both blessings and curses to come out of our same mouth. So we come to the end of our study today, and I would encourage you to spend some time to evaluate your speech. Write down one or more areas where the Spirit has convicted you today through this Bible study and where your speech has not honored God, perhaps towards your spouse, perhaps in the workplace, perhaps when you're alone in your car driving on the road. Then spend some time in prayer and confess your hurtful words to God. Ask him to help you tame your tongue. And not just now, but make a practice of doing that each time you are tempted to hurt others with your speech. And if necessary, go and apologize to anyone you've hurt with your speech. Commit to praying daily for your speech this week. And then be intentional to build up others. Like always, our goal is not to just study the Bible and think we learned a nice lesson, but it's to go and apply it. So really think, how can you go and apply what you have learned here about the tongue? Use your tongue every day. So there are many, many opportunities to apply the lessons we've learned and use our tongue to encourage and build up others rather than to tear them down. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.